All right, so I'm going to do a couple things first. Uh, I am going to preach. Don't, don't get that wrong. That will come. But I have a couple things, first off, that I need to do. And one of them is get this sermon up there. See, I told Dan I wouldn't have this problem. And here it comes. So that's how it works sometimes. Be just one second. Talk amongst yourselves. Are we there? It's not that hard, Dan. I don't know what you're talking about. Pretty easy. Uh, So one of the first things that I wanted to say is uh, I want to talk about Youth Sunday and why it's in July instead of August. Typically, we meet in August, and it's usually the second week of August, and we, uh, it's kind of a time for us to say goodbye to our interns and a thank you for a great summer. And this year, we are in July because uh, Hume Lake, and I don't know if you guys remember me saying this some time ago or not, but Hume Lake was a big uh, issue for us this year. We lost all of our week eight spots. We don't need to get into the reasons why that is, but we did lose them. And um, through uh, lots of work and through lots of prayer, the, the Lord was exceedingly gracious to us, and we were supposed to go on week eight and week nine. We had, up until last week, 13 spots on week eight, and we had about 20 spots on week nine, and we were going to go on two weeks. So we were going to be a divided youth group. I was going to go twice. I was going to miss my kids' first day of school, not something I wanted to do, and the Lord just showed up last week, and we have 35 spots for week eight, which is incredible, <laughs> which is phenomenal. Um, you know, in a youth group our size, which we're somewhere in the vicinity of like 42 to 50, somewhere in there, that's about the size of our youth group, we're filling every single one of those spots. You just, you just love to see what the Lord is doing, and, and um, I'm passionate about camp ministry for lots of different reasons. Do, do me a favor here. If you've ever been to a camp uh, that's, that's not just regular, not, not Boy Scout camp, but if you've ever been to a Bible camp and you've heard the gospel preach at camp, can you raise your hand for me? All right, now, if that camp affected your life in any way, could you keep your hand up? Right. I think that's almost, I think there might have been one of you that put your hand down, so I'm sorry about your experience. (laughs) I wish it was better for you. But I want to come to you, and I just want to lay a need before you. When we had these spots open, we had people on the wait list, and um, there's a lot of people who want to go, and they're part of our youth group, and they haven't been able to raise the funds, or it's not going to be possible for them to raise the funds. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to come and I wanted to share that need with you. And I wanted to ask if you uh, could prayerfully consider helping to partner send these kids to camp. It's not just high school. This is also junior high as well. And we're looking for a certain scholarship amount. And to be completely honest, we're looking for about $4,000. Camp this year at Hume Lake is $625. That's how much it costs for us. Now, that's a big gasp. (laughs) And I understand that. But... Um, we've gone to other camps. I've been to other places. There isn't any place like him. And we've been partnering with them for years, and we're, we want to continue that partnership. And we know that that sounds like a big number. But, I mean, if you think about how many days they're gone and out of your hair, you might as well pay double that. <laughs> Some of you would pay double to get those kids off. And so I don't want to talk any more about that other than to just say, if that's something that you feel that the Lord is prompting you to do, if you could talk to me, or if you could talk to Val or, or someone and um, let us know you want to be helping that. Um, we trust the Lord fully for his provisions. And, but we want to also uh, give you the invite to participate in what the Lord is doing. So that's, that's that one. Uh, cause of Youth Sunday for me is great celebration. I love this day uh, in part because I was a youth at one point in this church. And I was one of the guys who got to say welcome 
And I went a little off script, which I'm, you know, I don't know if that would surprise you or not that I did that, but I did. And it was an awesome experience for me. And it's one of the things, honestly, that formed uh, some confidence of being behind a little bit of a microphone. It, fo- it formed a confidence of like, maybe I could do vocational ministry one day. And you fast forward and here I am and I'm pastoring an incredible group of young people who are passionate about the Lord and I'm just blown away. I'm just astounded. Something that you might not know about me is um, in 19, I believe, well actually it was 2000, 2001, um, when Chris Gray was leaving the church, there was an opening for a youth pastor and I, and I desired to have that job with every part of me and I didn't get it. And there's a lot of wisdom in why I didn't get it. I didn't understand it then. I, I didn't fully get it. You know, today, to be here and see what the Lord has done and to see students that are passionate about Jesus. Man, praise God, right? Because we don't know how it's going to work out. We don't know how it's going to work out sometimes. But we know that we can trust in the Lord. We know that he can trust in his, in his plan and more deeply we can trust in his word. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about his word. How many of you have ever um, encountered uh, either youth ministry or someone you know who says, like, listen, I don't want to be about that doctrine stuff. That doctrine stuff is just confusing. Um, it's just I just want to love people and I just want to love God and I don't really, that doctrine stuff makes you stodgy. It makes you an academic. It makes you that guy in the cafeteria who's reading Greek all day and that's super weird. And just so you know, if you're that guy who is reading Greek in the cafeteria, you need to stop it. Don't do that. It's off-putting. Just joking. We need people who read Greek sometimes at the dinner table. Those are good things. No, but at the end of the day, I think there has been, and I think you would know people that would probably say, you know, all you really need is, is love. All you really need is to love students, and that's enough. And what I want to say today is that's not enough. Loving students is an incredible, uh, incredible endeavor, but we love them not just for the sake of loving them. We love them with a, a goal. And that goal is to saturate them in the word. And so I want to look at the reasons why we do that. So uh, last year, I think it was January when I took over, uh, we started talking about what, is, what direction are we going to head in. We came up with, a, with a, a model for ministry called Discover, Develop, and Deploy. So really simple. So we have, we have three of these goals. We want you to discover Christ. If, you've come in, if you come in to youth group and you've never had an experience and this is your first time, you're in the discovery track. We want you to discover Christ. We want you to hear the gospel. But if you've discovered Christ, it's our goal and what we want to do is to develop your relationship with Christ. We want to develop a, a relationship of trust. We want to develop your biblical intelligence. We want to develop your behavior. We want to develop all of those things. We want to disciple you. And that's a really good thing. And we're going to talk about discipleship today and then in the end is we want to deploy so when you graduate, we don't want to go out there and say, maybe this person will or won't make it. We want to deploy them as faithful servants of Jesus in their colleges or in their community colleges or in their workplace. And we feel really burdened by that. And so while I think that that's a great model, how do you actually put flesh on that? If that's the skeleton, what's the flesh? And I wanted to share for you today, I don't think I've ever shared this corporately, and so I wanted to, uh, now that I have your sort of undivided attention, you can't leave, uh, I want to tell you exactly how we see that working out. And there's three things. We believe that as staff, and we believe as people who are loving students, primarily we need to be people about prayer. We need to pray for them. 
We need to pray for their relationship with Jesus. We need to pray for their relationship with their parents. We need to pray for them on their campuses. Can I tell you how many stories I've heard this year about the persecution that's happening in Fairfield Sioux Unified School District, Vacaville Unified, and Travis? Do you know what our students are going through just by simply saying they're Christians? It's a tough time, and so we need to be a praying people. We need to pray that they would have confidence and truth and be rooted in the foundation of the gospel. That's, what we're, that's, that's something that we want to do. The other is example. So example is a great thing. That's why I need staff members and why we need staff members in youth ministry. If we don't have the opportunity to example what it likes to passionately love Jesus, we're going to talk all about it, but they're not going to have ever anyone that's going to take them out for coffee. And no one's going to go to the movies. and No one's going to go to their sports games. So we need to have example. So if you're on High Life staff, I want to thank you corporately right now. If you're on junior high staff, I want to thank you corporately right now. If you are uh, in children's ministry at all, I want to thank you right now because you are exampling. You are being an example for students and for children to follow. This is what it looks like for someone who loves God. And that's a big burden sometimes. Sometimes it's so big that I've had staff members say, I'm not sure I should even stay on staff anymore. Right? So it's a, it's a huge thing. So there's prayer, and there's example, and then there's teaching. And all of those are, in my mind, very important. Um, would I rank them in a certain way? I don't know. But I would say that today I want to talk to you about teaching. So this is not to minimize the role of prayer, not at all. This is not to minimize the role of example, not at all. This is to get us on an uh, equal footing about what our youth ministries at Parkway are about and what our children's ministry at Parkway is all about. And that is faithfully teaching the whole counsel of God's word. That's what we want to be about, okay? So my sermon title today is Teach Them the Truth. And I want to start, first and foremost, uh, with a great commission. And you can turn there with me if you want, or you can read it on the screen. And the reason I start with the Great Commission is because we're about making disciples. That's what we want to do in youth ministry. It's what we want to do with your students. That's what we want to do with your kindergartners when you drop them off. Our goal is to make disciples. And by the way, adults, that's our goal with you too. I don't know if you know this, but our goal is to disciple you as well. And here's how it works. It says in verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I love that. Teaching, 20. I want you to focus. Teaching. Them to do what? What's that word say? Observe. Observe. Now, some of the things, just one thing really well, what's it say? All that I've commanded you. How much is all that Jesus has commanded? It's a lot of stuff. <laughs> it's a lot of stuff. Start in Matthew. Start, sorry, start in Matthew. Yeah, start in Matthew. Just start in Matthew and go all the way through. And just write in a notebook all the things that Jesus commanded. Oh, and by the way, don't forget that in, Dan's just talked about last week, um, and, and also in John chapter 16, John chapter 17, Jesus says, it's not my words that I'm speaking, it's my Father's words. And then in, in chapter 16, he says the Holy Spirit is going to speak words, but they're not his words, they're my words. So you see this sort of, okay, that means everything. That means the whole biblical counsel. That means all the things. Uh, that's tough. Like if I'm thinking about sitting here as a, as a youth pastor, as somebody who's passionate about teaching uh, youth the word, I can't just say, hey, just do one of these things really well, can I? I don't have the luxury to do that. Because as soon as I do that, am I doing discipleship anymore? I'm not doing discipleship anymore. 
I'm cherry picking what I think they might need to learn, but that's not my job. My job is to teach them not to just believe. It doesn't say believe, does it? It says observe, which means you have to teach the truth of the scriptures with an aim on it having a substantive change in your life. And so how can you do that if you're not moved by it personally first? Right? And so that's why we talk about as a staff, are you in the word? Are you yourself filling yourself with the word of God? Are you, are you finding pleasures forevermore at the right hand of God like Psalm 16 says? Is that you? Then that's the kind of person I need on, on our team. That's the kind of person that Brian needs. That's the kind of person that Val needs. We need those kind of people. Observe all that I have commanded you. So that's a lot of stuff. Now, when we hear that, we're like, oh, man. So is youth group just like, sit down, open your Bibles, everybody be quiet. I'm going to start reading from Genesis. And we're not leaving until we get through numbers. So buckle up. There's going to be some blood. But don't worry about it. We're going to get through this. And you'll have everything you need. And I've given it to you. No, we know that's not how it works, right? We know that teaching not only happens as we open our Bible on a Thursday or we open our Bible on a Sunday. Teaching happens when we take somebody out to the movies. We have an opportunity to talk about the hope we have in Christ. Teaching happens at a barbecue. Teaching happens at a fam dinner. Teaching happens at a photo extravaganza with a staff member. Teaching happens all the time. And I I love that. I love we have that opportunity to do that. So I want to focus on the primary passage for today. And I'm going to be a little briefer than I normally am, so you're welcome. Because I usually preach about 20 to 22 minutes, and to keep it, not here. Here I'm like 35, 40. Sorry about that. Uh, but in youth ministry, I tried to keep it like 20 to 22, or else I'd just get booed off the stage. Or they would just keep texting, which they already are anyways, most of the time. Um, <clears throat> you know you are. Okay. So, John 17. And I kind of like backdoored into Dan's sermon series, but sermon series by choosing this, and uh, he actually yesterday, last week preached the sermon, and he just skipped right over verse 13, uh, which was perfect, like that, I'm, I'm not capping on him for that, I'm just saying that did happen. So I want to go back and I want to look at 13, and I want to, I think it says something really important. It's 13, 14, and 17, it says, but now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And so we see something really fascinating here. When's the last time you thought about opening your Bible or obeying Jesus or listening to Jesus or teaching truth or teaching doctrine? When's the last time that you looked at that primarily as a joy-giving experience? Right, and so I just want to, uh, just for a second, one of the reasons that I am so fully persuaded that I need to teach the whole view of scriptures is because Jesus himself says, God, I'm coming to you. This is his prayer. I'm coming to you. And these things I speak. Well, what did Jesus speak? You go back to just chapter 13. Just go back to 13, and this is, this is up in the upper room. This is a long discourse. If you were to just read John 13 to now, you would find no less than about 50 things that Jesus taught. No less, maybe more. That was just by my count in studying for this. And that wasn't even in the prayer. That was just leading up to this. And so he's saying, these things that I'm speaking, all these things that I've told you since John 13, I've been teaching, 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 and teaching. This teaching is so that you might have what? 
my joy, not any joy, my joy. Right? How many people in here would say, I am concerned about having the level of joy that Jesus had? That would be a desire. That would be something in your life. You'd be like, wouldn't it be amazing if I could access the sort of joy that Jesus had? Now, if we pause for a second and think about what is the joy that Jesus had, he had a joy in his Father. If you go back to uh, chapter 14, it'll say, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, and we're one, and he glorifies me, and I glorify him. Then we take that over to Hebrews, and it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, suffering its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of God. So we see that God has always been perfectly in unison as a triune God. And so we see the Son, his, his biggest joy is when he's with the Father, when he's glorifying him and he's being glorified back. Right? And that's why he's so excited in Hebrews. That's why he has the joy set before him, because where, he, where is he going? To the right hand of God. And, and Jesus says, hey, at least you want that kind of joy? Is that the kind of joy you want pulsating through your life, believer? Well, it's not optional how you get it. You get it through these things I speak to you. So have you ever met somebody who's like, I just have a joy in the Lord, but I don't read the Bible. That's bunk. It doesn't exist. You can tell your friend, download this sermon. My pastor has a word for you. He says that can't happen. And it's not me that's saying it can't happen. Jesus is saying it. Not me. So why would we ever, if we have a captive audience on a Thursday, not open the word? Why would I ever shortchange your kids? Why would Val or Brian ever shortcut anyone who ever comes before them for teaching? Because what's happening is if we don't teach them sound doctrine, if we don't teach them what Jesus said and partner that with the Great Commission, that's everything. If we're not doing that, we are killjoys. Right? This is what the word of the, this is what the word does. And I love right here in 14. Jesus says in 13, it's everything that I speak. And then right after he says, I've given them your word. So it's not just everything he said in 13. It's everything that the Lord has said. It's the law and the prophets. It's everything that's summed up. It's our Bible. It's the word. One of the things that I'm fond of doing on a Thursday, and it's almost every time that I pray, is say, Lord, thank you so much that you did not leave us alone to figure it out, but you gave us your word. So we continue to come, we continue to ground in that. And it's so, it's an awesome privilege to be able to do that. And I love 17, sanctify them in the truth. And here it is more explicitly again. And I think it just ties in and puts a bow on the whole thing. What's truth? How do we sanctify? How do we change? How do we come more like Jesus? How does that happen? In the truth. And what is truth? Your word is truth. How encouraging is that? So next time someone comes to you and they say, Adam, I'm struggling with joy in my life. Maybe the first thing I'm going to ask is, how's your Bible's reading going? When's the last time you studied the scripture? Because if you're coming to me for counsel and you haven't done that step, I'm going to tell you, you've gone one step too far. We have divine revelation, probably eight different copies in four different translations in our house. And oftentimes we come and say, how come I'm not living the kind of life that it seems that every other believer around has me, or how come we don't have this joy, but it remains on the shelf. Why do you open this up? Not to become academically intelligent, not so that you can articulate theological view viewpoints. You know doctrine and you know truth because it pulsates joy through your life, and not just any joy, the kind of joy that Jesus had, which is 
Not joy in myself, but joy that comes outside myself. Did you know that you can't use joy as a mean to anything? Joy is given. It's produced, right? So I can't say, I'm going to have joy in my wife so that she'll make me ribs. That doesn't work. She makes me ribs, and then I got joy. See, it was delivered to me. That's how joy works. So you have to have a means for that joy. It has to come somewhere. You, you can't just wake up one day and be like, you know what I'm going to be today? I'm going to be that joy-filled person, and I'm just going to produce it on my own. That's not how it works. How is it produced? Read the Word, and moreover, observe the Word. Then we'll see joy start to bubble up because we'll understand it's not our own work but the work of Christ. We're going to understand and read in Scriptures that we have a substitutionary atonement. We're going to find out that God... Uh, never mind, I was about to go crazy. I'm going to leave it right there. Because <laughs> that's not what we're doing here. And i got 22 minutes and I've probably already done it. Anyways, next one. Lest we think it's just about joy, I want to move on. 1 Timothy 1, 3-5, teaching is for love. This is, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, and I love this. It says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Here's that word, doctrine. That's a word I really like, but I know I've spoken to some of you. Some of you don't like doctrine that much. I know that. That's okay. I hope I want you to see. And let me just say for a second. One of the reasons why I think that... Uh, knowing the truth and knowing the whole counsel of God and knowing doctrine, it, it gets a bad rap sometimes, is because we're not actually, we, our theology and how we're applying it is bad. We're not applying it the right way. We're, we're using it incorrectly. And so let's look for a second at what bad theology or bad doctrine does. Right? He says, don't teach any different doctrine. And any different doctrine, according to Paul, would be bad doctrine. That's bad truth. That's not what you want to found your life on. Nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote, what, speculations rather than stewardship from a God that is by faith. Right? So what he's saying is, negatively, don't teach anything differently. Because what happens is that leads to myths. It doesn't give anybody any solid ground. That's bad truth. That's bad doctrine, bad theology. What does it lead to? Not the kind of stewardship we want to have from God. But positively, if you remain with the good doctrine, you can read that into this verse in 5, the aim of our charge. So the charge is what they're teaching. What's the aim of the charge? That you might know something academically? That you can answer all the questions? No. What is this truth supposed to produce in you? Love. When's the last time you opened a systematic theology and thought, man, I love this book. It's a book about love. <laughs> Probably not too much. And I want you to kind of get your mind just wrapped around that. So we've seen joy, and now we see love. Now here's something I, I love, I'm just like passionate about this last piece. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith. How do you get a pure heart? How do you get a good conscience? And how do you get a sincere faith? How does that work? Well, the Bible teaches you couldn't produce that. You need the Holy Spirit. Anytime that there's heart change, heart change is produced through the Spirit. Right? So what's really being said here? Well, isn't it that the Holy Spirit uses means to change us? And that means is the truth of his word? That means is sound truth, sound doctrine? I mean, that should be somewhat exciting to you. 
that the Holy Spirit who originally inspired the words now divinely inspires them within yourself through the written word. That's a miracle. That's a mystery. We don't understand it, and yet that's what it says. Because in order to have a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith, your heart needs to be renewed by the Holy Spirit. That's spirit work alone. But he says up there, our charge is love that comes from that. So they're connected. That got me maybe a little more excited than it got you. That's okay. I want, I want to here pause and give you an example of what this looks like. John Newton, um, some of you might know him, some of you might not. And in a room, I'll just explain. John Newton wrote the uh, song Amazing Grace, right? And uh, one of the things we know about him is he was born in somewhere 1726, somewhere in there, died at 18, oh, whatever. I can't remember. <clears throat> uh, but he, from the age four years old until seven, was catechized by his mother. What catechism means is she taught him the whole counsel of God's word. Basically, she took a document that had all these questions and answers, and the questions were things like, what is God? And there would be answers, and there would be texts all throughout it that would teach this, this young boy about this. And so from four to seven, he says in one of his memoirs that he was able to recite uh, two catechisms and all the creeds by memory by seven years old. Okay? Which is pretty great. He actually says something that I find like, like, kind of a bummer for me. He says when he was four years old, he could read almost exactly the way that he did now as, as in his adult life. Just um, he got, had bigger words. And that was like super disappointing for me that there was like a four-year-old who was reading like amazing back then. I don't know why that did that to me. Anyway, so you have John Newton from four to seven. He's taught the fullness of the faith. It's, it's memorized, right? I'm not saying anything about that other than to say that that's a fact that happened. His mother died at seven years old. Okay, and then he moved in with his father, who was a sea captain. His father taught him all about the sea, and eventually he became a slave trader. And that's what he did. He traded slaves. And he wasn't just a regular slave trader who was like, I got mixed up in the bad crowd. If you read in his writings, he will say, no, I was the chief of the bad guys. I was so bad, I wanted to get other people to be bad just like me. I wanted to be the chief bad guy. He knew that slavery was wrong, and he did it anyways. He was that kind of person. And when he was 22 years old on one of these um, trips or one of these voyages, there's a shipwreck. And he has a crisis of faith. And he'll write about that saying later, when I wasn't sure if I was going to live or I was going to die, what I remembered were the words and the framework that my mother gave me from when I was four to seven. So that word that was deposited in his life when he was at a crisis started going through his mind. Isn't this an example of what we're talking about here, where the Holy Spirit uses means? So the means was the teaching, sound doctrine, teaching the truth. And the Holy Spirit had an occasion to use that on a shipwreck. And he will go back and he will say that multiple times in his life that he can still recall to this day. He'd write out much later in his life. He can still hear the words of his mother and still had them memorized. So you wonder, why do we do things like a wanna? You know why we do things like Awana? Awana doesn't save people. Memorizing scripture doesn't save people. The Holy Spirit saves people, but he uses means. So maybe one day, when they're 30 years old and we have a kid who's wayward, and they're in a crisis of faith, the Holy Spirit will say, everything you learned in those scriptures, guess where they're coming from? The framework was there, and now I've got the means to open your heart. Wouldn't that be amazing? And so why do we teach the word? We teach the word because we want to produce love. The Holy Spirit wants that. He uses means.
All right, last one. Titus 1.1, teaching is for godliness. This is Paul again. This is Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. So, you want to become more like Christ? Want to change from the inside out? How does it happen? What does Paul say? What am I doing all this preaching for? What am I putting my body on the line for? What am I getting whipped for? What am I getting shipwrecked for? What am I getting ultimately be put in prison for and die for? I'm doing it for the elect, but not just so that they'll know that I love them. I'm doing it for their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. And can I tell you something right now? You could come and you could volunteer in a youth ministry and you could just say, I just want to love students. And you could never teach them the word and I will tell you, you didn't love them. You might have placated for a little bit or you might have had a good friend or you might have counseled them in things of the world. But that's not what we're looking for here. That's not what we want. What we want are people who are fully persuaded that the word is the divine revelation from God. The word is final, accurate, infallible, teaches us everything we need to know for life and godliness. It is sufficient in all things. We need people who burn bright with that and then come to students and say, do you want a joy-filled, love-filled, godly life? Well, then let's open the Bible. Let's talk about it. You're going to have questions. There's going to be things in there you don't understand. It's going to take a lifetime to understand it. But why you do that, look at how much I'm loving it, that example and that love. So is youth ministry about love? It certainly is. But it can't be about anything less than loving them through the word. And that's what we're doing with your students. And that's what we're doing with your kids. And surprise, high school students, that's what we're doing with you. That's what's happening. So this next year, we're going to launch a class called Timothy. And um, we're looking forward to it. It's open to any high school student that wants to do it. And Timothy is a class where we are going to teach doctrine. We are going to go through, most likely, the Westminster Short Catechism. And we are going to answer questions. And we're going to memorize scripture. And we're going to read about the sufficiency of scripture. We're going to spend time on doctrine. And we're not going to do it to become smart. We're going to do it so that the Lord will do what he promised, which is allow us to access his joy. Allow us to become people who are motivated and moved to love with a clear conscience. And people that will transform our lives. Not because we do it, but because the Holy Spirit within us does it. That's youth ministry. And the final thing that I want to say is, I need you. I need more people. We need more people in junior high. We need more volunteers. Do me a favor real quick. If, let's just say, if you were someone that was impacted by your youth ministry, could you raise your hand for me for a second? That's a lot of people in here. That's a lot of people who are impacted by the youth ministry. And I think God aims to do the same thing through Parkway. And we're not going to rest until we continue to do that. We're going to ask God to bring everything that he can. But if you in any way, shape, or form feel called or led to be a part of what we're doing, our arms are wide open for that. And uh, we want you to be part of it. So that's the end. Um, hope you liked it. <laughs> I'm going to pray. Yeah. No. I'm going to pray, and then we'll invite the band up. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for truth. Thank you that you are truth. God, we want to know you. 
We want to be people who are joy-filled like you. We want to be people who love like you. We want to be people who are motivated by the things that you're motivated by. And so, Father, we would pray that corporately as a congregation, we would be hungry for your word, and that your spirit would use those means to renew us from the inside out and would produce all of those things in accordance with sound doctrine. We want to be that kind of church. Give us a burden for that. Where we've grown faint or where we've grown weary from reading or studying, God, I pray that you would energize us with a new passion because in the words of Scripture, we meet a living God. May we be consumed by that. May that truth lead us towards action. We pray it in your name. Amen.